In Zechariah chapter 1, the third verse we read, Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Zechariah could very easily be a major prophet. The minor prophets are minor not because of their degree of prophetic value, nothing of that sort. They're minor only because they're short. It's the only reason they're called minor prophets. They didn't write, or at least uh, not very much is left to us of what they may have written. The major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel, these lengthy messages stretching out over chapter after chapter. But the minor prophets, were the individuals that God raised up after the time of the kingdom, the division of the kingdom, and the pre-exilic prophets, and then the prophets during the exile, and then the prophets after the exile. Those who said that because of the sins of the people, God would disperse them and they would be carried off to Babylon. They were the prophets before the exile. Then there were the prophets during the exile. And these were the prophets who, while the children were Israel, were in Babylon, they wept and they spoke of the weeping willows, and they were comforting the people and also telling the people that this judgment had come because of their sin. And then we have the prophets after the exile. And Zechariah belongs to that class. And as I read to you tonight in the scripture, Zechariah makes specific reference to three score years and ten of their sufferings. The seventy years captivity. And Zechariah, like all the prophets, centers his message upon the fact that God has a purpose for his people. God has a future for his people. God has in the fullness of all that he has planned his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Zechariah has within its pages unmistakable prophecies to the first coming of our Lord and also unmistakable prophecies to the second coming of our Lord. And when you turn to Zechariah, as you turn to other passages of the Bible, the one great central focus which stands out and which must be seen is none other than Jesus Christ. Everything in the prophecy of Zechariah has to do with God exalting the king. God bringing honor and glory to the Messiah. And then all that the Messiah is going to accomplish for Israel and for his people. You know, beloved, after Jesus was raised from the dead... And he was on the road to Emmaus. I've referred to this lately and it just burns into your soul. 
He took the scriptures and he said, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to have entered into his glory? Oh, the glory that's to be revealed. Oh, the glorious consummation that is to be brought to pass through Christ and in Christ and by Christ. And then beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And what we must see in Zechariah is Jesus Christ. And God's purpose in him and how God judges Israel because they turn from their Messiah. They turn from obedience to the law that God had given to them. And he judges them. And when you open chapter 1 of Zechariah, as we do tonight, God says, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Zechariah says to the children of Israel, Because of the displeasure of God, your fathers were carried off captive to Babylon. And it was out of the sore displeasure of God against your fathers that you have suffered. And you have been in captivity. And God wants us to understand what his sore displeasure is with our fathers. And the message of Zechariah at this present moment is a message that you and I should heed and hear. As we look back to the Father. Therefore say thou unto them. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. This is verse 3 of chapter 1. Turn ye unto me. Saith the Lord of hosts. And I will turn unto you. Saith the Lord of hosts. Be not as your fathers. Unto whom the former prophets have cried saying. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Oh, Zechariah begins his message by telling the people of his day, your fathers turned away. Now if you'll turn back, you'll be blessed. But if you continue in the evil ways of your fathers, ye also are going to be condemned and judged. You know one of the things that bothers me about this so-called fairness doctrine? And it's even mentioned in NBC's brief that they're publishing or sending to the Supreme Court. This fairness doctrine assumes that evil and good are on the same level. It assumes that evil and good are on the same level. And if you get up and warn the people against evil then that evil that you talk about is of equal merit and equal value and the public should so consider it. That is not true. The other evening when I was on one of these planes and we were nearing uh, the city of Seattle in the airplane and I looked out the window, and I saw a great big red beacon. You see him in every airport. Just flashing and flashing and flashing. And I said, that isn't fair. They ought to have a blue one upside alongside of it. They ought to put the red one on for three minutes and put the blue one on for three minutes. 
They ought to put the red one on for five minutes and then turn the blue one on for five minutes. Why should the red beacon monopolize the airports? Why should we permit anything so unfair as that? Why in the world should we proceed to have our airports with nothing but red beacons on top of them? I'm going to speak up in favor of the green beacons. And I'm going to start a campaign of fairness out at the airport. I'm really going to take the thing in hand. Of course, what are you people laughing about? If I went out to the airport with a petition from the radio audience to put a green beacon on top of the tower, they'd arrest me and send me down to the insane asylum and said I needed to have a psychiatric treatment. I said, I'm sorry, sir, I'm enforcing the fairness doctrine. Equal time. You know, this thing of equal time is getting rather absurd. This evening I was speaking to the young people in our church. I, I had a nice time with them, and they're going over to the zoo on Saturday. And don't misunderstand me, it's all right. But they announced they were going over to the zoo to see the monkeys and the baboons and a few other things. And I'm a little bit afraid of the influence it may have on them next Sunday when they come to church. But you know, I commented about it, and I said, young people, you ought to get... You don't have to go over there. I said, I've got a better place than that for you to go. And I suggested maybe they go up to New York City and see the exhibits in the uh, Teddy Roosevelt Museum. They've really got something up there. And I was suggested to them. And you know, when we got through with the young people tonight and we were finished and we were coming out, the sponsor came to me and said, Dr. McIntyre, I want equal time to defend the zoo. <laughs> Where in the world are we going to end up? I'm not going to give anybody equal time to defend the monkeys. I'm not going to give anybody equal time. But you see, this thing has this assumption about it everywhere you go that good and evil are on the same level. Beloved, it is in the public interest when your house catches on fire that the siren rings and the fire department turn on its, its sirens and begin to flash. And it's in the public interest that that fire department get to your house as soon as possible and put out the lights. Or put out the fire. <laughs> but no, 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 I'm going to get me a fire department of my own. And instead of having red lights, I'm going to have green ones on my car. And when they ring the sirens, I'm going out with green lights. I want fairness. I want equal treatment. Does that sober you up just a little bit? Oh, beloved, you return unto the Lord and I will return unto you. And what this nation needs to hear are some preachers who get up and deal with sin and they'll turn on the sirens and they'll have the red lights blinking at the top of the warning poles at every airport and we'll let America believe and hear the word that she must come back to God. The fairness doctrine says you must come back to God and you must come back to the devil too. And the NBC in their brief that they filed with the Supreme Court said that it is in the public interest that the country be warned against imminent peril and danger which may come upon it. 
But with this so-called fairness doctrine, with everything being equal and everything offsetting and offsetting, balancing one another, no longer is there such a thing as truth or right or wrong in the land. God says, your fathers, where are they? Well, they're gone. What happened to them? They're dead. Can anybody bring them back? No, you can't do a thing about it. You can't touch your father. They've gone. Where are your fathers? Verse 5. They are, they're not here. They sinned. They've been judged. They went to Babylon. They suffered for their sins. Where are they? Do you want to be like your fathers? Or do you want to repent? Do you want to turn back to God and I will return unto you? And beloved, I say to you people tonight as I stand in this pulpit, the struggle and the powers that be that are fighting us tonight, these powers are trying to keep men like myself from getting through to the country with these warnings calling this nation back to God. These evil forces that are abroad in our land don't want this nation to turn back to God. If it should turn back to God, the people would forsake their evil ways. And they'd quit helping to build the evil forces in this country. And the only thing that'll call the people back again to righteousness is the prophet. The man who comes speaking in the name of the Lord. All right, now look at the next verse. And the prophets, do they live forever? No, the prophets in the days of your fathers, they cried out. Here was Jeremiah. Here was Isaiah. Here were these great men in the pre-exilic period. They were crying. Did they live forever? No, they died and the people didn't listen to them. Now God's raised up some prophets in your day. They're going to die, but you listen to these prophets and listen to what they have to say. No, I wish I could get people to listen to me tonight. I wish somehow or other we could get over these barriers and the smear and the abuse and the attempt to discredit get over all of this thing and get through to the people throughout this area if something could happen to shake our churches and work our people up and their people at home tonight that have just tuned on their people hanging on my words tonight spying on what I'm saying tonight I know it it's being recorded I know these things are going on but I'm speaking here as a preacher and oh that somehow or other the spirit of God would take the word that I'm preaching and bring conviction to your soul and you'd turn and say as for me and my house we're going back to God as for me and my house, we're getting out of the apostasy of this day. As for me and my house, we're going to help maintain churches which will be true to the Bible. As for me and my house, we're going to hold up the hands of the prophets of our day who'll speak out in these great matters so that the conscience of men can be pricked. Where are the prophets? Do they live forever? But my words and my statutes which I commanded my servants, the prophets... Did they not take hold of your fathers? Beloved, if this nation is going to be turned back to God, he's going to use some man, he's going to use some prophet, he's going to raise up someone. And God's promised that in every generation he will raise up men. But I want it to be such that when God raises up a man who can speak to this nation and whom God will use in this hour, he'll be free to use radio and television for that purpose so that he can get through to men with the message of judgment and death and hell. Now that's quite an introduction for Zachariah, isn't it? 
My, what a stern prophet he was. Don't you love him? For that kind of an introduction. And then he turns and we have these series of visions that run through this great passage. And will you turn please over to the second chapter and let me read you from verse 4. And of course you have to know the prophecies and know the plan of the prophets in order to see these things in the passages as you read. But look at this. And said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be habited as towns without walls, for the multitude of men and cattle therein. Jerusalem will not need to have a wall anymore. There's a day coming when God Almighty will give to Jerusalem peace. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall. I'll be the wall for Jerusalem. I'll protect Jerusalem. And will be the glory in the midst of her. Will be the glory in the midst of her. The Lord's going to dwell in Jerusalem. Here is a prediction that moves way on down past the first coming to the second coming. So when Jerusalem will be at peace and the Lord himself will sit in that city and he will be the wall of that city and there will be no need for protection of the city of Jerusalem when he comes. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. For I have sped you, spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens. Oh, you Jews, come back to Palestine. Flee from the land of the north. That's exactly what they've been doing. Fleeing from the land of the north. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, saith the Lord. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. Get out of Babylon. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoils you. For thee that touched you toucheth the apple of his eye. Oh, there is the strong Old Testament condemnation of hatred of the Jews. Anti-Semitism is condemned here in this passage in the Bible. Look at that. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. For he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. For behold, I will shake mine hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants. And ye shall know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, O Zion, saith the Lord. Now you and I can read that today at where we stand in the history of God's dealings with Israel and with the awful persecutions of our century. We see them going back to Palestine. God says, sing, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come. I'm going to come to you. There's the promise of the coming of the Messiah. And he will come in that great day. And see, you get this in chapter 2. I come. And if you'll run through Zechariah, I'm not going to have time to get it up for you all tonight. But you run through it and you say, I come, I come. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And when you get over the ninth chapter... He's coming in the midst of the Hosannas. When you get over to the 14th chapter, 
He's coming with his feet upon the Mount of Olives. The first coming and the second coming. Now will you turn on through, if you will, turn to the sixth chapter, turn to the fifth chapter. Here are these various scrolls, here are these various visions that he's given us, and how God's going to rebuke the nations. And by you come over to the ninth chapter, we'll move over to the ninth chapter. And in the ninth chapter, and in the ninth verse, you have this magnificent prediction. And uh, the prophet is saying here, rejoice greatly, O daughter. Will you turn back to chapter 2, verse 10? Sing and rejoice, O daughter, for lo, I come. Now you and I can see this, but a born-again Hebrew of this period, when they came back from the dispersion in Babylon, they saw it too. They understood that passage, I come and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. The Lord says, I come. All right, turn to chapter 9, verse 9. What do you have there? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king has come. Behold, thy king cometh. He is just and having salvation. He's going to arrive. He's going to come. Will you turn with me, please, to the gospel according to Matthew, the 21st chapter? And in this 21st chapter of the gospel of Matthew, will you notice, please, verse 4? And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. There it is, Zechariah 9, 9. Behold, thy king cometh to thee. Here it is, Matthew 21, verse 5. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. And Matthew, the apostle, writing by divine inspiration, says, This was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Zechariah is a prophet. Matthew calls him the prophet. Matthew says that this word has been fulfilled in beloved before I go on may I stop at this point and I'm emphasizing that it's Christ coming the promise of the Messiah he's coming now but beloved when you turn to the great prophecy in Isaiah 7:14 behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son when you turn to Matthew Matthew said thus it was done that it might be fulfilled as was spoken by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. The same words, the same formula, the same emphasis upon the prophets, the same emphasis upon Christ. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. The prophet spoke by the Lord, saying, A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And now Matthew, the same Matthew who identifies the virgin birth and the fulfillment of the prophecies, that same Matthew turns back to Zechariah from which I'm reading to you tonight. And he reaches back and says, It was said by the prophet that it might be fulfilled on that glorious day when Jesus in his triumphal entry on that day of great triumph, marched into the city. Behold, thy king cometh.
Isn't it interesting to see Matthew reach back to Isaiah 750 years and pick up the virgin birth reference and then turn back to Zechariah 520 or 25 years? What's the difference of 250 years when the prophet speaks here and the prophet speaks there and the prophet speaks here and all these things are put together? Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Now let's go a little further in this. In this ninth chapter of Zechariah, he is just and having salvation. He's the one who brings the message of salvation with him. He's come that he might save his people. His name was called Jesus. Lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a coat. The foal of an ass. You know that expression belongs to the same category as the third day. He shall rise again the third day. It's pinned down. One day, two day, three days. He was raised again. Thy king cometh unto thee. He's going to come on a colt. He's going to ride on an ass. He won't come in a great glorious procession with canopies and with all these banners and all that the pagan emperors have used to salute themselves. He'll not come with a crown of gold uh, with all the multiplied thousands of stones and glittering diamonds upon it. He's going to ride on a colt. When he comes on this sort of procession, you'll know that this prophecy has been fulfilled. Beloved, let me take you one step further. That day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a colt, and they cried, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. It was the colt that identified him more than anything else. The lowly animal, the ass, the foal of an ass, here he was. That event was tied into a specific moment, a specific time, when that march took place and this man Jesus was riding on that coat. That pinned it down. That tied it in. Where there could be no doubt about the specific, literal fulfillment of what Zachariah said. No doubt. Now, beloved, I want to just point out to you people. That God identifies these specifics for us, and when he does, he expects us to pay attention to them. And you've heard your pastor, I'm very careful, we're very cautious about some of these things. But there's some of them you can't be mistaken about. You can't possibly be mistaken about this colt. It was a literal colt, not some kind of a figurative one. It wasn't a symbol of some sort. He was coming into the city upon a colt. Jesus said, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Been 2,000 years, 70 A.D., since the Jews were driven out. For the first time in 2,000 years, two millenniums, they now have possession of the city of Jerusalem. And beloved, you better wake up and begin to look around, pay some attention because something's going to happen. Something's going to happen in the good purposes of God. You and I are living in these days. All right, now let's turn over to chapter 14. 
and chapter 14 of Zechariah, and you have the fourth verse. Well, let's look at verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth. Who's going to go forth? The Lord, a literal Lord, a living Lord, a visible Savior, the one who bears in his hands the nail prints, the one who still has a side that is riven by the spear. He will come forth, our Lord, and fight against those nations as he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the what? Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountain, for the valley of the mountain shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee. Like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. They did have an earthquake. It was a literal earthquake. And when Jesus' feet lands upon that mountain, it's going to be split. And I can tell you, dear people, that the first time that I went to the top of Mount of Olives, 1952, and we stood there with Dr. Lambie, in the company of our ICC group, I shall never forget it. My dear mother was with us that time. J. Frank Norris was there. Mordecai Ham was there. These other preachers. And Lambie stood there at that spot where the crest of the hill was reached and where they think the feet of Jesus last touched the earth and he ascended into heaven. And he read it. He read it. He says, this mountain is on the east. There's Jerusalem. There's the gate. And he said, now it's going to split just this way. <laughs> and he stood there and told us the mountain's going to go off that way and it's going to go off this way. Just as clear as anything could possibly be described. And beloved, that's exactly what will happen when his feet touch that mountain on that great day when he comes. Now I want you to notice this phrase. And the Lord my God shall what? Come! Will you turn back to chapter 2, please, of Zechariah? And notice, notice verse 10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. I come. And you turn to the 14th chapter, and you come down to the close of the 5th verse, and the Lord, my God, shall come. And all the saints with thee. And somebody's turned and said, why don't they say all the saints with him? Oh no, that's not what he's talking about. Oh yes, we're going to come with him. We'll all be with him when he comes in that magnificent day. And when his feet stands upon the Mount of Olives, just as it said it will stand. And that mountains will cleave and they'll all be, the valleys will be changed. It'll be an earthquake like in the days of the great day of the earthquake that he speaks of here of Uzziah, the king of Judah. It'll be a real earthquake. Yes, it was a real cult. But beloved, what Zechariah is saying here now is that my God shall come. Here's the deity of the Messiah. And all the saints with thee. Beloved, he will bring with him and thee, thou shalt be there as a believer. 
And beloved, when that prophecy is literally fulfilled, that reference to thee refers to me. It refers to you. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee, the believer to whom the prophet is speaking. And every believer of the day of Zechariah who read that and believed that the Lord would come and that the Lord would be the Messiah and the Lord would bring salvation. Everyone, my God, thy God, my presence with him, your presence with him. Did you ever hear the statement that the New Testament is in the Old Testament contained? Did you ever hear the statement that the New Testament is in the Old Testament explained? And at this point, this coming of Christ to stand upon the Mount of Olives becomes such a personal thing. It becomes such a glorious and intimate thing to the writer. And Zechariah says, oh yes, I told you he's going to come. I told you about the day he'd come into the city. He would come, he would come. But now he's coming completely. Now he's coming in the final consummation. Now he's coming to deliver Israel. And he's my God. My God. And when he comes, he'll, he'll take thee along too. Thou shalt be there. Oh, I stand here in 1967 and take the prophecies of Zechariah. And so this line that refers to the Messiah, the Lord will come, he'll dwell in Jerusalem. Here he comes in the great hosannas of that great Palm Sunday march. And here he comes in the final climax as he comes in the clouds of heaven. My. Folks, we ought to come to church. We ought to be in the house of God just to see this thing. Talk about supernaturalism. Talk about the miraculous. Talk about fulfilled prophecies. Talk about things being literal. Talk about being fundamentalist. I'm so proud I'm a fundamentalist. They can call me anything they want to. I believe in the fundamentals of the Christian faith. I believe that we have a genuine prophecy from a man who was inspired of God. And this man was so inspired that he said the Lord would come. He said he would ride up on a colt. Who in the world could have ever told Zechariah 500 years ahead of time? that this Messiah would ride upon a little ass down the street. Whoever told him that? And the same God who told him that there would be a little colt and that the Messiah would ride upon it and they would cry, Blessed is he that come in the name of the Lord. He had come, he had come. The same God would raise the Messiah from the dead. He'd ascend into heaven and then he'd come with the saints of glory and his feet would arrive on that Mount of Olives and when he touched down, his feet would have such power in them that the whole mountain would collapse and go to pieces and it would go to the south and to the north and the whole contour of the earth would be changed. And it's the power, beloved, that's manifest when he touches the Mount of Olives that's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. That's the power that Jesus Christ will have in that great moment. All right, let's read just a little further. Well, I'd really like to go on with this tonight, but I just wanted to give you this wonderful tie that holds the whole book of Zechariah together. And our Savior says that uh, it testifies of me. 
Now, if you'll move just a little further, down to verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. We won't have any fairness doctrine then, ladies and gentlemen. There won't be two lords, two different viewpoints. There'll be one. Just think of that. And all the land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. And it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananiel unto the king's winepress. And men shall dwell in it. And there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Will you turn back to that second chapter of Zechariah that I read to you a little while ago? That great second chapter. Verse 4. Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls. For the multitude of men and cattle therein. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about. And be the glory in the midst of her. Now, you wouldn't think that was the personal presence of the Messiah in the midst of Jerusalem unless you had all these other things that fitted into it and made it all come out so beautifully. Jesus Christ will be the glory of the city of Jerusalem. And he will be here in that great day. Verse 11 of chapter 14, And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Now move down, if you will, please, to verse 20. In that day there shall be no more. There shall be upon the horses, the bells of the horses, holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bulls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts, And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see therein. And in that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. You know what God told the children of Israel to do when they went in to inhabit the land? He told them to drive out the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Perizzites. To drive them out. And they didn't do it. They left them in there to plague them and to tempt them. And this morning you heard my message how the Philistines were there and how they compromised. God says in that day there won't be any Canaanites in the house of the Lord. It'll be holiness unto God. Clean, pure, honorable, and Jesus Christ whom we love, Jesus Christ whom we haven't seen yet, but with the eye of faith we know he was raised from the dead. And beloved, I can't preach on Zechariah without preaching to you Jesus Christ. And those who studied Zechariah 500 years before Christ, they saw exactly what I'm telling you tonight. The promise that the Lord would come and be the glory of Jerusalem. The promise that the Lord would come and he'd ride upon an ass. The promise that the Lord would come in the clouds of heaven and his feet would stand upon the Mount of Olives and he'd split the Mount of Olives in two and there'd be an earthquake. But look at this. Zechariah 700 and, or 525 years before the coming of Christ. 
the colt, and the ride into the city at the time of the first coming. And then all this length of years and centuries that have added up, waiting for that moment when he shall come back and his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives. But beloved, as it was literally predicted for the first coming, as it was literally fulfilled in the colt and the ass, that is a token. That is an infallible guide to us that it will be literally fulfilled with him coming, with his feet touching the top of the Mount of Olives, and with the earthquake splitting and dividing the mountain. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. You know, beloved, you just can't take this book and divide it up to suit your fancy. If you take the first part the way it's been fulfilled, you have to take the second part the way it will be fulfilled. And God has bound us to the word. God has bound us to his prophecies. God has tied us inseparably together. This has been accomplished. And the rest of it will be also accomplished in the same manner and for the glory of the same Christ. Now, beloved, in these days of darkness, in these days when iniquity abounds, God says, don't you neglect the assembling of yourselves together. You come in here on Sunday nights and you hear this preacher take some of the Bible and there'll be something in it fresh and clean and delightful to your soul. Rejoice, sing, oh Zion, daughter of Zion, thy king's going to come to you and he's the king of kings, he's the potentate above all potentates and he's going to come and take the reins of power. And when he does, He'll vindicate you. When he does, he'll confess you. When he does, you'll declare his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. My friend, if you're not saved tonight, the first thing you can do is run to this Christ and let him wrap you about with his garments of righteousness. Come to him and be saved. Come to him and trust him. Come to this Christ. He's standing just over the horizon. And we're waiting for him to come to us. Let us pray. Father, we thank thee for our Christian faith. And we thank thee for this great prophecy of Zechariah. And oh, how when the people came back from exile, this prophet arose and gave them great hope that the Messiah, the Lord, would himself would come to Jerusalem. He would finally inhabit and rule over the city. And he would be king over all the earth in that day. And there shall be one Lord, and his name, one. For Christ's sake, amen. All right, the last hymn on the calendar, I Love Thy Kingdom, Lord. 230.